near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side, and the artist and composer of the music, Home. And today we're going to share two near-death experiences. The first one is a little bit shorter than the second, but uh, I think it's definitely worth sharing. So here we go. This is Ember from Enderf.org. Ember says, I was 16 when I decided to take my own life through a drug overdose. My clinical depression and borderline personality disorder had spiraled out of control. I lay down on my bed, swallowed a bottle of pills, and felt my consciousness slip away. I woke up in a place that felt like Oz. It was all vivid colors and sunshine. I tried to stand, but realized that my body wasn't with me. I couldn't see where I came from or where I was to go. I could see a field with an uncountable number of flowers and low rolling hills. The field stretched further than I could see in every direction, except toward the sunset. There was a clear creek, like the ones I grew up near. The creek was winding its way towards the setting sun, with the light reflecting off it. The colors of the sky were scattered across the creek like billions of tiny gemstones. I walked to the creek and tried to run my fingers through it, but I couldn't feel anything. I inspected the flowers near the bed of the creek, while studying the tiny purple petals, I realized that I was meant to love. I knew in that moment that I was not going to die. I was to inspire the people I meet with the love. I closed my eyes. When I opened them, I was in a hospital. I never shared the experience, but now I am far more focused on empathy and understanding of others. That is the end of Ember's experience. And what a beautiful experience. I'm particularly drawn to the experiences that portray landscapes and uh, where you can see rivers and, and flowers and, and uh, hills, mountains, so forth like that, simply because I love those things. But there's more to this one than just that. First off, this is an experience that should offer comfort to those who have lost someone to suicide because there is a fear that those who kill themselves will be burning in hell for 
you know, eternity or something like that. And near-death experiences do not support that idea. And yet, it's interesting also that Ember, who is at the point of wanting to take her own life, realizes the purpose of her life, or at least some aspect of the purpose of her life, which convinces her, it's not my time to die. And that ought to tell those who are considering suicide that there is more purpose to your life. You may not see it. You may not feel it. You may not even sense it. But there is much more purpose to your life. Now for Ember, her purpose, and this is a purpose that I hear from many near-death experiencers, she says, I realized that I was meant to love. And she says, I was to inspire the people I meet with love, or with the love. That's the way she worded it. Very interesting. Very interesting. How does one do that? Well, we could have an entire podcast program about how to share love, but uh, something to think about. Okay, let's go to William in, uh, also from enderf.org. William says, While in the intensive care unit of the hospital, the doctors inserted a feeding tube into my nose while I was intubated. The nutrients from the feeding tube filled my belly, causing my stomach to spasm, and all the nutrient went into my lungs because I was intubated. I felt my lungs fill and my breath shorten. The call button was just out of reach when I realized I had no control and there was nothing I could do. I thought of my family and the life I wouldn't lead. My eyes swelled in tears as I took my last breaths. Then everything went black. It seemed instantly that I was somewhere else. It was as though I stepped through a doorway into the back of my mind and into another dimension. I first noticed the floor, or rather the absence of it. There was a thick mist or fog that covered the ground up to my knees. The very next thing that I noticed was the sound of music. It soothed me. I didn't know the song, but it seemed familiar. It was symphonically orchestral and with brass, strings, and woodwinds, but the sound was still subtle. The sound seemed to be coming from my right, so I looked in that direction. I saw a deep void of darkness, like an astronaut who looked into the stars from orbit. Then I looked in front of me and saw my deceased grandmother. She was standing just in front of the white light. The light radiated warmth, light, love, and anything I needed to know. I also noticed other figures off to the left of me. They seemed peaceful in pairs, holding each other and swaying with the music. My grandmother delivered the choice to me. I could stay with her or go back to my life. She told me that if I stayed, everything would be okay. She said that if I went back to my body, it would be the most challenging experience I would ever endure. Then she showed me my grieving family. 
It was like I was transported to the moment when my loved ones were talking about me. I saw my other grandmother who was still alive. She was driving to the hospital to see me. My papa was consoling my grandma, saying, Don't cry. He's going to make it. I also saw my best friends driving to see me at the hospital. They were saying how bad it was and how I didn't look like myself. I also saw my mother and aunt in the hospital watching over me. I saw their tears and the uncertainty in their expressions. The night of the car accident, there was a friend of my aunt whom I had never met. She woke my aunt up in the middle of the night to say that a young man my aunt knew was in terrible danger. This friend of my aunt happened to be a sensitive. My aunt called my mother right afterwards. My mother had just got off the phone with the sheriff's office. My mother had seen a vision of her mother and I laughing and having a good time. This was during the same time as my near-death experience. I also had a premonition dream three years before the car accident. That is the end of William's account. Now in the uh, more information section of enderf.org, where the account is given, there is um, some details, uh, little details and so forth, based on questions that were asked. And Dr. Jeffrey Long contacted William to ask a follow-up question. So I'm going to read that. He, he quotes William as part of it. So in case that's confusing, um, I'm just letting you know that he's quoting him at, at one point. So that's, that's why you hear it the way you do. So Dr. Jeff says, I would appreciate any comments you have to a question of mine. One of the questions that you responded to and your response was, quote, did you have a sense of knowing, special knowledge, or purpose? Yes. I felt, though, just seeing the crossroads and standing before the light gave me an experience that not many people, not many other people had. My grandmother conveyed a piece of information regarding everyone that NDEs and experience like them, experiences like them will become more frequent and people will begin to see the true meaning of life. That is, to love, give it, receive it, share it, and spread it in any way you feel. And that's the end of the quote. Um, so Dr. Long is, um, that's the end of the quote from the uh, um, question that he answered. And then, so Dr. Long continues. That is very interesting that you became aware that NDEs and experiences like them will become more frequent. With regard to NDEs, did you have a sense as to whether this meant more people would have life-threatening events resulting in more NDEs occurring, or could this mean that there will be about the same number of life-threatening events with more people having near-death experience type experiences at the time of the life-threatening event? Any further comments that you have on this would be appreciated. Thanks again for sharing. Best regards, Jeffrey. Okay, and then William responds to that, and I, I'm fascinated by his answer. He says, Thank you, Jeffrey, to answer your question. My grandmother conveyed to me 
that more people would have experiences that would open their eyes to the dimensions that exist parallel to ours and how strong those dimensions influence ours. This did not necessarily mean that people would have to suffer physical pain in order to come to that point of understanding. She inferred that every person would come to that understanding in their own way. Basically, she told me about more of a spiritual awakening, a shift in the paradigm of the collective consciousness of our dimension. Okay, I'm going to um, stop there and just talk about this, because this is really interesting to me. So, William had conveyed by his grandmother that more people would have these spiritually transformative experiences, be they near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, or just spiritually awakening experiences. Maybe even what I once referred to as... uh, thin veil experiences, or near veil experiences, however you want to word that. But this idea that the the other side, the the spiritual side, um, the spiritual dimension, if you will, is coming closer, that 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 veil between the realms is, I don't want to say breaking down, but it's, it's thinning, and more people are getting glimpses into the other side, either, either, you know, visually, spiritually, physically, whatever. But um, it sounds like, from what he's suggesting, that that collective consciousness of society is awakening to spiritual things. And, you know, as I think about that, I think I'm finding that to be true. You know, we've had, there's been near-death experiences going on for, you know, all through time. I think it's fair to say. And even since the 70s, when when the concept of the near-death experience entered the collective consciousness, you know, so that people maybe went from thinking they were having odd dreams, odd experiences, sometimes um, strange visions that don't seem to have any, you know, they, they don't have any context to know where that came from. You know, some people maybe die, experience the other side and come back, but they think they're crazy or other people think they're crazy, so they're afraid to even talk about it, so we never find out about them, things like that. But, you know, in the 70s, it became more accepted to talk about those experiences. And it seems to me, from just following what has been what I've seen here, it's been in about the last 10 years that we've shifted to a deeper level of that. At least it appears that way to me. You know, that we went from it being kind of acceptable to, you know, acknowledge the idea of near-death experiences to the point where, to getting to the point where they're not only not strange, but they actually feel fairly common. And by common, I don't mean ordinary, but I mean common in the sense of a lot of people having them. You start talking to people about near-death experiences. If you talk to any group of 10 random people, I can almost guarantee you that at least one of them will be able to say, oh, well, I've had an experience like that. And then they'll go on to share their experience. Now, it's, it's uncommon to have an experience as 
as, you know, um, with as much detail. You know, we've talked in the past about detail levels. Um, this is probably a maybe a level three detail level uh, in this experience. It's not very often you get much more than a one or two from your random group of ten, but that's that's totally fine. That's not the point. I mean, the point is is that they're experiencing those things, and I don't think it's so much that the other side is trying to make us experience the other side per se. I think more likely is that this, the other side is trying to open our collective consciousness and we are, we are beginning to be ready to be more open to a spiritual awakening, if you will, as an entire society. And that is really important. There are times coming, there are things coming that are going to require a level of spiritual maturity, maybe, or a level of spiritual awareness, um, willingness to consider spiritual things that without that collective consciousness being more spiritually um, in tune would absolutely just be too much for us. That very much seems to be the case. And I don't think it's all bad stuff, you know, apocalyptic, so to speak. There, there's probably much of that to come. I mean, there's, there's been enough experiences showing the potential for those things that you can bet there's more to come. I mean, just look at the last year of COVID-19. That was rather apocalyptic to, <laughs> to many of us. Maybe not everyone is experiencing, you know, multiple um, family member deaths of very close members of their family and so forth, but most people have lost someone to COVID-19, be it a friend or neighbor, and some people have lost several people. And so, and, and you know, a year, a year and a couple of months ago, we would have had no concept, no concept of what we would have, what we would be going through in the next year. And yet here we are a year and something later, we're here, we've survived. And yes, it's been tough. It's been tough, but we've made it through this far. And as far as we can tell, the worst is behind us. You know, we've got a little ways to go, but we're, we're getting there and we've survived this far. Those of us who are still here and we do more than those who are lost, but looking back, it's, it's not like it feels right now, apocalyptic. You know what I'm saying? It may have felt a little bit like it was coming to be apocalyptic, but it, it, at least from my perspective, it never felt like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, just absolutely the end of the world kind of thing. And, uh, and I, I have no reason to doubt that there's more things like that coming, but I think more than that, more than that, as people awaken spiritually, as people open their hearts to the other side, pray and seek the guidance, spiritual guidance from our Heavenly Father, things change in our lives. And I say for the better, and I don't mean that, you know, suddenly you'll start getting rich, and I'm not talking about that kind of, kind of things getting better. I'm talking about things start opening up in our lives, opportunities 
arise to touch lives, to to exercise the very purpose of our coming here, which from uh, Ember's experience that we read before is clearly all about love. Love is our purpose for being here. That's to be conveyed by different people in different ways. Some people maybe through music or or through um, some kind of service that they will do. Others through you know, a particular job or volunteer opportunity or just smiling at people often enough to make the world a little bit brighter a place. Some of it sharing more spiritual things, teaching um, religious things and so forth that bring people to that level of spiritual sensitivity to be open to possibilities from the other side. I think as we try to figure out our own purpose in this life, our own next step, if you will, it feels like, I know for me, it always feels like what's going to be the next thing. And often I'm deep enough in the thing I'm doing now that I'm just able to focus almost entirely on that. And those almost feel like breaks, even though that's where the real work is taking place of life is in the midst of things. But in those little breaks where you're just like, I'm not sure what I should be doing with my life right now. I'm not sure what I should be focusing on. Those are the opportunities to open yourself spiritually and seek the guidance of heaven because that guidance will come if you seek it. Prayer, meditation, taking time to to just quiet down and listen and feel. We can become in touch with our spiritual side. And in so doing, we're going to find that the things that we feel drawn to do are things that come from love, from a place of love. And as William said, give love, share love, accept love. And this is not talking necessarily romantic love. You know, if you're if you have a spouse, then definitely it applies to your spouse. But beyond that, we're talking about the brotherly love of, you know, mankind, the kind word that you have for a neighbor, the reaching out to someone in need, the willingness to step in defense of somebody who is being bullied or hurt in some way, the willing to reach out in love to help those around us in the ways that we know has to be done. And we're not always going to know what needs to be done at any given moment. But if we're seeking it, if we're trying to stay open to those whisperings from heaven, they'll come. They'll come. We may not even recognize them at the time. You may feel a nudge to just go see your neighbor. Just check on them. And if you act on that, you'll find an opportunity to serve. You'll find an opportunity to exercise the love that is the very fiber of our existence. It's what we're here to do. So, if you would like to reach out to me, you can email me, chaz at ndepodcast.org. If you would like to support the podcast, you can purchase my book, Life in the Spirit World, or my album, Home. And both of those can be found on our website, neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. 
Another way you can help the podcast is to get on your podcast app and rate it. Give it a rating, and even better, give it a review. And make it an honest review. You know, say what you really feel about it, because even the critical reviews draw people in to the podcast because they kind of want to see for themselves. And, and of course, if it's a positive review, that will definitely help um, because many people will read that and want to come see. So in light of what we've been talking about, I want to make a request of you. Set out to serve someone today. Doesn't have to be a doesn't have to be a full-on service project, unless you want it to be. It could be just putting your arm around someone. It could be just a, you know, telling your child, I love you, uh, sincerely. It, it could be something very simple, and that's absolutely fine. There, in the grand scheme of things, it is not about the, the size of the service, the act of love. It is about the sincerity of it. The genuineness of it. So do something to serve and do it out of pure love. Try to convey in some way love and recognize that that love is not just you trying to do something, but it is you opening your heart to the other side to let love through to the person you're trying to serve. So please do some act of service today. And with that, thank you so much, all of you, for listening.